Um, we're in journey through Genesis. We're going to be in part 11 tonight. This is Genesis 12, part 2, Genesis 13, part 1. And we're going to do a little review and introduction. And so let me take a drink of water, say a prayer, and then we'll get started. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, to teach, to see things in this, uh, this passage tonight, Lord, these readings, these scriptures. Show us the truth of them, God. Let us find some application, and we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. I'm just going to go ahead and drop in to verses 6 and 7 of Romans, uh, Romans, what am I saying, of Genesis 12. Uh, this will be some review, but I'm going to add to it. It's, uh, I think, just chocked full of some incredible things. So verse number 6 of Genesis 12. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land, and there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. I mentioned this last time. It's interesting to me that Abram built an altar. How did he know to do that? Where did he get this information? Was it passed down through Noah and Shem and maybe back to Seth even through those lines? Maybe the Lord himself revealed to Abram this altar-making Process. Maybe it was just known in the human race because they were so close to the beginning. We don't know, but we do know that Abram built an altar. And there's something very significant about where Abram built this altar and subsequent altars. These are the first altars that he built, and this is the first altar that he built in Canaan. And it's located at Shechem, at the terebinth tree of Morah. I mentioned last time, Shechem means shoulder, which I believe, as Watchman Nee and others do, that this represents strength. This was the place, the, everybody say the place. This was the place where the promises that God had made to him would manifest. Abram had gotten on site. He was on the ground, the terra firma, where the strength of God would flow in his life. For me or you to fulfill our calling or our destiny, we have to move at certain times, into certain places. It's only when we are in the place where we are supposed to be that we can expect the strength of God to begin to flow in our lives. I believe God ordains our steps. Psalm 37, 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. One of my mentors, Brother Tenney, always said the steps and the stops of a good man are ordered of the Lord. In Psalm 119, 133, the psalmist said, 
Order my steps, O Lord. There are places where we are supposed to be. And we've got to cooperate with that drawing of the the Lord Himself and, and move at certain times and certain seasons in our lives to get to the place. Everybody say the place where we can fulfill our calling and make the maximum impact. There are some places we are supposed to be. Now here's some examples in the Bible. Jesus said one time, he's journeying, he's moving down the road with his disciples, and he stops and says, I needs must go through Samaria. It was out of the way. It didn't make sense, but it was in the Father's plan because for his ministry to be accomplished, for there to be the maximum impact, he had to talk to this little lady at a well in the middle of the day. And he had to get there to her. He had to go to Samaria. It was a divine appointment that would take take place at a specific place. A place. Everybody say a place. Jesus one time told his disciples, let's get in our boat and go to the other side of the lake. And as they were headed across the lake, a storm broke out. You know the story. The boat starts to sink. Jesus, who has heard from his father, he said, I don't do anything that I haven't heard from my father. Don't go anywhere I haven't heard the instruction from my father to go. He said, he said we've got to go to the other side of the lake. He crawls in the back of the boat and falls fast asleep. He's sleeping out there in the boat. Storm blows up. Disciples are freaking out. They see this storm. Their boat's sinking. They're professional fishermen. They're used to these things. They understand them. They know they're in danger. Jesus is sleeping. They wake him up. They said, Master, don't you care that we're dying? We are perishing. Jesus stands up, rebukes the wind, rebukes the waves. The storm dies And they're amazed and blown away by his power because he's more powerful than the wind and the waves. But then they get to the place where he said he needed to go in the first place. And when they get there, a demoniac runs up to him. I love to preach about him, you know. He's naked. He ain't wearing no clothes. He's full of the devil. He's got a legion of demons in him, thousands and thousands of demons. And that little fellow runs to Jesus in his brokenness, and Jesus delivers him and sets him free. The next thing we know, he's clothed and in his right mind, and he's an evangelist that's going out and reaching ten cities for the cause of Christ. It was a place where Jesus had to go at a certain time. It's not the only example. His followers picked up on this. Peter and John were on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer, And there was a man at the gate, beautiful, he was lame. And Jesus had passed him hundreds and hundreds of times. But there was something different this time. They were supposed to be at that place at that time. That man looks up expecting to receive something from them. He's begging. And Peter looks at him and says, we ain't got no silver and gold on us right now. But I tell you what, what we do have, we're going to give to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, rise and walk. And that man jumped up, started leaping through the temple, running and praising God. Why did that happen? Because at the right place, at the right time, Jesus had passed him many, many times, and the fruit of his healing would have been great. He would have been healed. But at this time, 
the fruit of that healing was 5,000 people came to know Jesus because of the signpost, the advertisement of that particular miracle. It was about being at the right place at the right time. A divine appointment. So here we see some examples. Let me ask you, where are you supposed to be right now at this season in your life? Even as far as the church we attend, there's a place, there's a church where you can have maximum impact. And check this out. It's not only where you have maximum impact, but it's also the place where you are impacted at the maximum level. Shechem was in Mora. Shechem means strength. Mora means teacher. In this place, Abraham would learn more and more about his God, about the ways of his God, the covenant of his God, the promises of his God, the word of his God. It was in this place where he was supposed to be, this land where God called him, where he would grow in his relationship with Almighty God. He would learn so more, so much here. He would learn so much about his God in this place. But it wouldn't just happen. Abraham would have to be engaged and involved and continually seek after God. He had to hear the word of the Lord being proclaimed in that place. Because there's this proceeding word, this now word, this rhema word. And of course, when it comes to a place like a church, I believe that Life Point is the place where you all should be. Because I'm the pastor of Life Point. And I think it's great. But I'm going to tell you something. If it's not, you've got to find the place where you do belong. You've got to find that place where you can grow in your relationship with God, where you can be impacted to the maximum, and you can be the maximum impact that God has called you to be. But I don't think it stops at church. I believe there's a school, a college where you're supposed to be. You don't just end up at any old school. You need to seek after God. What does God say about the university you attend? What about the job, the place where you're supposed to work, where the promises of God can come to pass in your life? I think we live life so much accidentally when God wants us to seek His face and get our steps ordered of the Lord so we're in the right place at the right time. And when you get in that place, for heaven's sake, here's what you do. Don't sit back and say, "Woo." I'm glad to be in the right place. Build yourself an altar. Make that a memorial. Call on the name of the Lord in that place. Seek Him there. Seek to do His will in that place. Worship Him in that place. Walk with Him in that place. Live a life of expectation in that place because you're in the place where His favor and His love and His power can flow. Can I get an amen? The place. It's interesting. He built an altar at Shechem at Morah. Now, verse 8. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I, or Ai, on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. This is the second altar that Abram 
built in Canaan. It was between Bethel and Ai. Bethel means the house of God. Ai means a heap of ruins. So between the house of God and a heap of ruins, he built this altar. He was headed away from his past, which was a heap of ruins. And he was headed towards the house of God. We'll see later in Genesis 28 in the life of Jacob that Bethel was the place of an open heaven. It was this staircase, this stairway, this ladder that, that was filled with angels ascending and descending with the Lord at the top of the ladder. Some have equated that tower, that staircase, that ladder with a, a ziggurat like the one at Babel, the Tower of Babel, Nimrod's Tower. We've talked about him. The Lord visited that tower, but when he did, he dispersed all these people around the earth to get his purpose accomplished. The Lord visited the one in Genesis 28 that we'll see later in Jacob's life and, and pronounced the Abrahamic blessing on Jacob. Well, here's Abraham about a 100 years earlier, and he is facing Bethel, and he builds an altar there. He's, he is not quite where he's going to be, but thank God he's not where he used to be. Can I get an amen? And he calls on the name of the Lord facing the house of God where there is an open heaven. Can I tell you, my friends, my brothers and sisters, there are angels standing at attention at Bethel. And they're ready, they're willing and able to help you to begin to possess the promises that God's made to you. We are not in this alone. There are angels, heavenly assistants, who are wanting to work on your behalf when you stand in faith, when you begin to believe what God has said about you, and when you begin to act like what He's promised you is true, and you're where He's led you to be. They've been assigned to help you, to see to it that every promise He's made to you makes its way to you, that it gets to you. Build an altar there. Begin to call on the name of the Lord. Hey, devil, I'm not where I used to be, but I'm facing an open heaven right now, and God's got help for me. I'm not in this alone. I don't do this in my own might. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. And he sent his angels and given them charge over me, lest I dash my foot against a stone. I have heavenly assistance, and I'm facing that open heaven. The place, it's at the place. The name of the Lord, the Bible says, is a strong tower. It's like a ziggurat, the Lord there, and and, and the righteous run into it, and there they are safe. Again, the place in which you have been called, that place, that house of God that you're facing, that place. Listen, that place can be life point in general, but I believe that it is specifically speaking of the house of God as in the body of Christ. We should not stop short 
of getting there. Can I preach to you just for a minute? When you are born again of water and spirit, my brothers and sisters, you are at the place of an open heaven where the angels are ascending and descending, where the presence of God is overseeing His finished work and the work in your life and His purpose is being fulfilled in the earth through you. I want to challenge you tonight. So many times we look at ourselves and our own situations and we, we're pitiful. We just see ourselves as pitiful. Like I'm just, what can I do for you, Lord? Maybe when I get these bills paid, maybe when you know I, I get the right breaks, maybe when I get the promotion, maybe when I get that different you know girlfriend or boyfriend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or maybe when I get married or maybe when my husband comes around and start serving you. We, we have all these excuses as to why we think God can't use us and why there's a closed heaven. But I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, if you are born again of water and spirit, listen, listen to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Paul says it. He says, he does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. In other words, the seed of Abraham was not Isaac. Ultimately, it referred to Christ. And then he says in verses 26 through 29, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Let me just pause there for a moment and say this. If you're born again of water and spirit, you're a son of the living God. My dad, Caleb, he's an awesome guy. My mom, Linda, she's an awesome gal. They're a great couple. They've done a lot of great things. They're not perfect, but they're wonderful people. Some of you didn't have parents that were, you know, all that wonderful. Some of you had great parents. But it doesn't matter what our lineage was before we got born again. Because when we got born again, listen to me, God is our Father. We have a different Father who has uh, all power, who, who every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change on a, on a whim. He's not going to go broke. He, he's not, he's not going to lose any power. He's got your best interest at heart. God is your Father. Now here's how it happened. Notice verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Verses 13 and 14, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Listen, my brothers and sisters, we have become partakers of the divine nature through faith, Peter said. 
we become a partaker of the favor and the grace of our Heavenly Father, Almighty God. I love the way Paul puts it in Romans eleven seventeen. 17. You didn't deserve it, but God has made you a partaker, listen, of the richness of the sap and root that He promised to Abraham. Paul said it in Ephesians, you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And God is blessing those right now. Listen to me, the blessing of Abraham. He's blessing those that bless you and cursing those that curse you. You are not powerless. You are not in a position of no power. You're in a position of power and favor and the blessing of the Lord. And you know what your response should be? You should build yourself an altar right there and worship Him in spirit and in truth and call on His name and seek His faith, face and walk in faith. Well, it's quiet in this place tonight. I just want to challenge you. Think of yourselves in Christ. In myself, I can do nothing. Jesus said that. But through Christ, I can do all things. Because He gives me the strength. We've been born again of water and spirit. We've been born again from above. We've been changed into His likeness. We have a new background. So call on His name. Build an altar. But check this out. Abraham was tested. He was tested. And fear caused him to stumble and to turn away from Bethel. And he ended up in Egypt. Don't be surprised when right before you get to Bethel, you get distracted and you get thrown off course. Listen, we're going to read it. Abraham hit a famine. There was a famine in the land. There was no food in the land. And then when he was going into Egypt, which is always representative of sin, he was afraid that Pharaoh would think his wife was just something he had to have and was going to reel her into the harem. And so he said, let's lie about who you are. You're my sister, which was really kind of true. I hate to break it to you because they were like, she was his half-sister. You know what I'm saying? It was Bible days, folks, you know, like things happen. He was, a, he was an idol worshiper, you know, <laughs> when he first came to the Lord. Married his half-sister. And so he's like, tell, let's tell him, we're not husband and wife, let's tell him, you're my sister, so he won't kill me to get you. And so they go down there, we'll read it, but they go down there and Pharaoh is like, man, she's good looking. And so he gives Abram, uh, you know, some some stuff, you know, some animals and some treasure and whatnot, like, I'm going to take your sister. I'm going to bring her on into my harem. And so, sure enough, his family's divided. There's brokenness. But this is right before he got to Bethel. I'm going to tell you something. Before you get to that open heaven, there's a devil that's going to try to get you to stop short. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying, but he's going to try to stop you short of getting everything God has for you. And when I say born again of water and spirit, like, you, we, I believe, I mean, God's good, Jesus is good, but I'm telling you, those apostles, they believed in that altar call I give every Sunday. You need to repent. You need to be water baptized. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And people.
I don't think I need to have that. That's not for me. I'm just telling you, perhaps the pressure that you feel resisting that is not coming from your own self. Maybe it's coming from an enemy who wants to stop you short of getting everything that the Holy Ghost has for you. And you're going to live your life short of Bethel, facing it, wanting it, but you're short of it because of fear, because you've been distracted one way or another. I want to encourage you. You need to push on beyond that. There is a Bethel out there waiting for everybody in this room. God wants to take every sin away. God wants to fill you with His Spirit to the overflow and make the difference that you can't make on your own. Can I get an amen from somebody? The devil is going to try to get you to stop short. And we see this all throughout Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, even into the ministry of Jesus, even into the ministry of the apostles. The enemy's always trying to get people to, to, you can face the right direction, but just stop short, man, just stop short. And for eons throughout the history of the world, the devil has gotten people to stop short of everything God had for them. And the devil was trying to do that right here to Abram. There's so many blessings waiting for him. Verse 9, so Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. Now there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. For the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you're a woman of beautiful countenance. I say this to my wife on a regular basis. I'm a lot like Abram in some ways, but I would never go to Egypt, and I certainly didn't marry my sister. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say, You're my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. In other words, he had to look out, guys, right? And they're like, hey, Pharaoh, we found you one. It's just funny. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abraham, Abram well for her sake. He, he had sheep, oxen. Male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Preached about this a couple of weeks ago. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is it that you have done to me? What, why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? I may have, I may have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This was all a distraction. This was all a waste of time. This was all a big circle. He was at the right place, facing the right place. But just before he got to Bethel, he got distracted, and he lost his way. He ended up in Egypt. And it was a detour. It's just a way. Anybody ever wasted any time? 
in your walk with God. I told y'all before, I always feel five years behind because me and God got in a fight. And, and I was right, and God was wrong. At least that's what I thought for five years, Milton. And I fought, and I shook my fist, and I yelled and screamed, and I said things that people would consider to be blasphemy. And I was off in my Egypt for five years, somewhere in there. But somewhere in the mercy of God, it was a Pharaoh that got a plague in my life. <laughs> and I said, what in the world are you doing? And God delivered me. And I made it back to Bethel. And that's exactly what happened with Abram in this story. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been. Listen, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. To the place of the altar which he had made there at first and where Abram called on the name of the Lord. Guzik says, even though Abram came back from Egypt with great riches, he returned to the same place he had been before, right back where he started. Essentially, his time in Egypt was wasted time. God could have and would have provided for every need in Canaan. Abram should not have used the blessing God brought to him in Egypt as a justification for going there. Even though God is great enough to bring good even when we disobey, there is still a cost built in to disobedience. Guzik says this, Abram's unbelief took him from his place of worship into sin or Egypt. And he led others into sin also. I remember in my days when I was mad at God, me and God were feuding. I led some other people down that primrose path, met some wonderful people. And I said, me and God are fighting. Why are you fighting? Let me tell you about my fight. I brought them in on my fight. Some of them are still fighting against God. Abram led others into Egypt as well, led them into sin. And it made him more confident in his ability, listen to this, to lie than in his confidence in the protecting power of God. And it even broke apart his family for a bit. It was not until an ungodly king rebuked him that he righted his way. Yet Abram also did what he should, and this is awesome. Instead of torturing himself and saying, man, I've messed up so bad, he got busy doing what he needed to do. And he went back to that place that he had been before, to that place where his altar was, and he called on the name of the Lord. Abram came back to the promised land and started all over, back to Bethel, back to the tent, back to the altar, and did what he should do. Reminds me of that passage in Revelation 2 that says God wants us to walk in our first love and after our first 
works. So this was a test that Abram failed. I'm so glad God doesn't fail us just because we fail. I'm so glad that he gives us fresh starts and do-overs because everybody in this room would go to hell right now if we didn't have the opportunity to have fresh starts and fresh do-overs. I'm telling you, every single one of us, I don't know about Cynthia. She's like super-duper good. But the rest of us would be in bad, bad trouble. Now, there's a second test. So that's a first test that Abram faces here in Canaan. Here's a second test that he faces. Are you with me? Is it exciting? Just beyond words, right? Verse 5, Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot, he's so selfish. He lifts up his eyes. I mean, he's only there because of Abram's obedience and disobedience. He's only where he is because of Abram. But Lot lifts up his eyes and he sees all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. And then the parentheses here, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, it's like the garden of Eden. Like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Technically, Lot was going back towards where the heap of ruins was. He chose poorly. He chose the wrong direction. He was moved by only what he saw. And what he saw was well-watered plains. I've always seen it this way because the Sunday school teachers taught it to me like this. I've always seen it as like the Mississippi Delta, like Lot looked out and saw, look at those fields, man. It's like strawberry fields forever. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just looking good. And he's like, that's the fields I want. I want to go over there, Wayne. Like, that's where, oh, that's where it is. And poor old Abram was left with what I always saw in the Sunday school, a desert. It was just a desert. It was dry, rocky, craggy. You couldn't grow nothing. It was like West Texas. You ever been to Odessa? You ever been to Midland? You ever been out there in Lubbock? You look around, man, it's like, I'm like, what in the world is that? Oh, that's a dust storm. 
I'll never forget years ago, Valerie and I went out there. We were in Lubbock, I think at the time, and, and we were in our, you know, 29-foot travel trailer made of cardboard, sheer luxury, and we were pulling it with our Smurf mobile, and we were out there in Lubbock, and it was about 80 or 90 degrees. It was beautiful. It looked like Mars, you know, the landscape. I'm from Louisiana. And as we were out there, big old thick clouds started billowing. I'm like, what's that? They're like, oh, it's a dust storm. What? A dust storm? We don't have these in the swamp, you know. When we see that, it's like, it's love bug season, you know what I mean? Or it's mosquitoes. It's a flock of birds out there. It was dust. And this big old storm blows up, blows in. And I, if I'm lying, I'm dying. It went from like 90 degrees to like 12 degrees. Seriously. I was blown away. 12, I saw a bank with a digital thing that said 12 degrees. I'm like, you got to be kidding. And here I am once again in my cardboard RV with hair dryers trying to melt water and other substances, trying to make sure the pipes didn't blow up and whatnot. And I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. That's the kind of landscape that I saw Abram being stuck with. Lot goes over here to the pretty stuff, and and Abram gets stuck over here. Lot was looking at what he thought was luxury. It was really a heap of ruins. It was about to turn into a greasy spot in the middle of nowhere. But he just saw potential, he thought. But he only saw surface. He was a very shallow man. And it says that the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Now, we're going to look at the wickedness and the sin of the men of Sodom a little later. But we'll go there, okay? Everybody say, oh my. Verses 14 through 18. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot is separated from him, lift your eyes now. Listen, you're not stuck here, Abram. Look from the place where you are, north, south, east, west. For all the land which you see, I'm going to give it to you and your descendants forever. I'm going to make your descendants as the dust of the earth. You see all this dust under your feet, boy? I'm going to make your descendants as plentiful as this dust, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there. This is the third altar he built in Canaan. So he built an altar in Shechem, which means shoulder or strength, which was in Mora, which means teacher. He built an altar at between Ai and Bethel, facing that house of the Lord. And he built an altar at Hebron, which means association or community, which is in Mamre, which means strength. Just as important as it is to be in the place that you're supposed to be and be in the house of God, it's also important that you find 
community, and we'll end it here, but you find community in your relationship with God vertically and in your relationship with other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ horizontally. That's where your strength is. No man is an island. I'm going to tell you, God is my strength. God is my help. God is my fortress. He's a very present help in the time of trouble. Yes, He is. But I'm going to tell you, so are you. So are you. So are you. So am I to you. You are a very present help in my times of trouble. And I can be a very present help in your time of trouble. We can all help each other. We strengthen each other. The body of Christ is strengthened by what every part of it supplies to the body in general. It is so important that we live and make a, an altar, make it a, a something that we would die on, man. It's a place of commitment. I'm committed to you, Lord, in my relationship with you, but I'm just as committed to my brothers and my sisters. Remember what Christ said when he approached Paul. You just can't overemphasize this. Paul's like killing Christians. Jesus appears to him, knocks him down. He's about to turn him into a greasy spot. And he says, who are you, Lord? He's blinded. He's blown away. He says, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. When you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. I'm just telling you, there is a communion we have with God when we have communion with each other. Are you with me? It's so important that LifePoint is... United For God to get us where we need to be and get us to do what we need to do, there needs to be unity in the house. There's got to be a, a oneness, a sameness. Now, we're diverse. We're different as daylight and dark in a lot of ways, man. We've all got different giftings, different proclivities. We have different strengths, different weaknesses. But when we get together, we complement each other. That diversity brings a strength that is so powerful. We can reach the world. We can reach the world, and, and, and we, we have a lot of unity here, and we are united with other believers around the world. Sunday night, Valerie and I spent time entertaining the Lucases. We gave them an offering from LifePoint Church. The Lucases are missionaries to Japan. I told you about them. We spent time with them. Precious, precious people out there doing a great work for God. We strengthened them. They strengthened and encouraged us, but there needs to be a unity. And that's what this third altar is all about. Community, association, and in that is strength. Strength. Amen? Genesis 14, we'll introduce this. <coughs> and it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, I think, King of Shinar or Shinar, Arioch, King of Elassar, Shadorlamer, there's a name. Let's give that one to Wesley and Kelly. There's a name. Shadormer, King of Elam, and Tidal, Tidal, King of Nations that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, 
Remember, Meber, king of Zebulun, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. All these joined together in the valley of Sidon, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served that guy, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, that guy and the kings that were with him came and attacked the Rephaim in Ashtoreth, Karnaim, those in Ham, these other people, the Horites in the mountains of Seir as far as El Paran. Isn't that a restaurant up here in Gonzales, El Paran? Is it? Oh, it's El Mescal, that's right. Which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to in Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and attacked all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who dwelt in Hezazon Tamar. You got this story that's breaking out, and you're going to see, you're going to see where Abram, as he has built his three altars, and as he's been in the place where he's supposed to be, and as he's headed in the right direction, and as God is working through his faults and failures, God strengthens and emboldens him. Like I said at the very beginning, when you're in the place where you're supposed to be, the favor of God flows through you. God knows how to get his promises he's made to you to come to pass. You don't have to worry about it. Cast all your cares on him. Put it on him. Remind him of his promises. God, you made me this promise. I'm standing on your word. I'm standing in faith. I'm going to keep believing, even though it doesn't look like it can happen, even though it looks impossible. And Abram was pushing through his own doubts and unbeliefs and immaturity. And he was in the place where he needed to be. And he was following faithfully. And when it came down to it, God empowered him to so much, such an extent that kings could not stand against him. Warring armies that were trained couldn't stand against this nomadic man and his bunch of herders, shepherds, goat herders, goat ropers, cowboys, they weren't fighters. It wasn't like gunslingers in the, in the West. These were just people that worked with animals. They were into husbandry. I mean, Trey, for crying out, they were veterinarians. You know, they're working with animals and milking cows. And they're just, they're just farmers with animals. And yet kings with standing armies could not resist the man of God who was in the place he was supposed to be because God was with him. I'm telling you, plug in. Don't stop short. If you do turn back, come back. Face Bethel. Get there. Get under that open heaven and watch what God does. Listen, if God is for you, tell me who can stand against you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Stand with me right now. I love the story of Abram because he's not perfect. We used to have a motto in LifePoint. For, for many years, and it was great. It was great. We're not going to bring it back, but it was great for the season we were in. And it was no perfect people allowed. No perfect people allowed. And I used to get up and say, if you're perfect, we need you to leave. You're going to ruin this church. Like, please leave. Because either you're going to ruin this church or we're going to find out you're a liar and you're not perfect, right? No perfect people allowed. And listen, it goes back to the patriarch of the patriarchs, Abram. And if you're Christ... Then, then you're seed of Abraham too, right? Back to the, the namesake, Abraham. He wasn't perfect. He had a lot of mistakes. But man, he just, 
stumbled and moved and, and stumbled and moved and got off, went back two steps, went forward two steps, dragging people along, and, and just, just somehow just kept stumbling and moving. Some, I saw a video today on Facebook, and it was really tragic. It was, somebody said, this is so inspirational. And it, it's a wildebeest, his leg in the mouth of a crocodile. Anybody seen this? It was viral. Millions of views. I'm like the last guy to see it, I guess. And, uh, and they're like, this is so inspirational. And I was trying to not watch it, but it was like a train wreck, you know. And I'm just, I'm like, scroll past. I don't want to see what happens. I will not be drawn into this social media trap. But the longer, I just kept watching. And that, that wildebeest is, is, is the crocodile's trying to drag him in the water. And wildebeests are dumb. You know, they're absolutely ignorant. They're the ones that just, the, the thousands of them just go over the cliff and go into the crocodile's stuff, and the crocodiles just eat them left and right. This poor fella, his, his other wildebeest buddies are kind of waiting on him. They're like away from the shore. They're like, you can see it. You, you, they're like, come on, you know, we're waiting on you. And he's like, I'm tr- I'll be right there. <laughs> the crocodile's like pulling on him. And he's just pulling his leg. And the crocodile's fighting and pulling him back. And he gets down. He gets halfway in the water. And he pulls. And he, and he pulls. And the crocodile gets him. That's like Abram. Finally. Because I did watch it. Forgive me, Lord. I should have showed it. No, I shouldn't have. But finally, the wildebeest gets free. And I'm like, well, thank God he's free. But then his hoof is like bent back. I'm like, so now he's like. The, his buddies are moving on, and he's like dragging his leg, you know. The, whoever wrote it, like, this is so inspirational. I'm like, the cheetahs are going to get him now, you know. Like, they're like, there's a wounded one. Croc missed him. We're going to get him. They pounce on him, eat him alive, you know. They didn't show that side of the video. But he's dragging his old, his hoof is all backwards. That's how Abram was. He's dragging his leg. He's in a crocodile's mouth. He's got problems. He's not perfect. But he kept moving forward. And God kept working with him. I'm telling you, if you'll keep moving forward and standing in faith, God will work miracles on your behalf. Abram got where he needed to be, became the man that he needed to be, had the Isaac that he was supposed to have, and did incredible things for God. And you can do the same thing. Whatever he's called you to do, brother, whatever he's called you to do, sister, don't stop short of it. Keep moving forward even if you stumble and trip up a little bit. Amen.